<laughs> Good morning. Um, today, the sermon is called Joy in All of Life. I'm going to be talking about different areas, different dimensions of life. Some things that you're like, joy, why would I have joy in doing that? But we're going to go over several parts. But first, I want to recap. I want to recap what we've already gone over. Last week, Dave talked about Mary being visited by this angel named Gabriel saying, like, hey, you're going to have a baby. She's like, but I've never been with a man. He's like, you're still going to have a baby. Um, God is going to work, and he's going to do something, and this child is going to be called the Son of God. But this is coming on the heels of this angel already visiting somebody, and that person was Zechariah. He was a righteous priest in Israel, and when he was visited by this angel, he didn't believe what he said. What he told him was, look, Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and this son is going to be a person that prepares the way for the long-awaited Messiah. And Zechariah didn't believe him. He didn't believe him, one, because he was really old. And he's just like, man, like, I, I don't think that we have the capacity to have kids anymore. Like, this is, biologically, I don't think this can happen. Um, but I also, as I was studying, I was just thinking, trying to get in the mindset of somebody in this time. I began to think, like, some other reasons that Zechariah might have doubted. No one had heard from God for 400 years. It was silent. It was dead. There were no prophets. There was no fresh word. They were just living life. They were just doing what they knew to do as God's people. Israel had been under Roman oppression, and they had no expectation of hearing of God. But yet, Zechariah kept going through the spiritual motions. He kept going to church, kept going to the temple, kept serving there. He kept living a righteous and holy life, but yet his faith was dwindling. On the outside, it looked like, I'm doing, I'm living a spiritual life. But on the inside, his expectation that God was going to move or do anything had declined. He was just spiritually going through the motions. Can we relate? I know I can relate. Sometimes it's just, and I know it's business as usual. You get up on Sunday, you go to church, you get up, you go to work. You pray, you read with your kids, and this is just something that you just get into the routine of doing. And then we have these trials. We have these trials that pop up, or we have these, for example, I have tent on my car. The tent on this car, it was so hot during the summer that it melted. (laughs) And it just started bubbling, and it's like kind of like wavy, and you really can't see through it. But I just leave it there. I'm just content. Like, it is what it is. I can kind of get by with it. I just roll the window down. I'll be able to see. <laughs> I grew comfortable with that. I had no ex- expectation that this is going to change. I just learned to live with this thing that's really pr- probably actually dangerous <laughs> to drive around like that. But for Zechariah, he had this expectation like, well, I'm not going to have kids. We've been praying for years. Gabriel even said it. God has heard your prayers. That's evidence that he had been praying for years to have a child, but that expectation had lost, had been lost, and he lost his voice because of that. God said, you're not going to talk until this comes to pass. So Zechariah isn't talking for nine months, but every month he's confronted with his doubt as he sees Elizabeth getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And every time he sees her getting bigger, he's like, God is saying, I told you. 
I told you this was going to happen. And he has to be confronted with this reality over and over and over. And his doubt, I believe, was turning into expectation. The more he's seen God doing something, he's like, oh, man, like I'm really getting excited now about what's about to happen. So we're going to start at, we're going to be on Luke 1, 57 through 80. We're going to start with this first section called Joy in Fulfillment, verses 58 through 59. So let's just read. It says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and, to sh- and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. So she was, they were going through the motions for 400 years. They lived a whole life unexpected. They were praying. Gabriel said they were praying for this baby to come. And now it's happened. God has fulfilled this prayer. God has caused this to pass. And everybody's rejoicing, neighbors, friends. And I don't think they're just rejoicing, just regular because she's having a baby, but because they knew. They knew her struggle. They knew that, man, Elizabeth is up there in age and she hasn't had a baby. Back in this time, it was like this, having a child to carry the name was everything. This, if you didn't have a baby at this time, it's like shame. It's like carrying this kind of like shame. And the people are probably looking at Elizabeth like, man, God did a miraculous thing in your life. The thing is, is they first had to let people in on that. They had to let people in to know that struggle. Have you let people know what you're going through? There's a lot of hurt going on right now in this congregation, in this world. And we're dealing with people losing their family members. We're dealing with people losing their jobs, marriages on the fritz. It's a lot of stuff going on. Are we letting the body in? so that they might pray with you, might walk alongside with you. Have you heard? Have you been a listening ear and heard the struggles? Like these people, have you said, man, like, I can do something. I can be an answered prayer. I can step in and I can help this person. I can be alongside them. Because it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing because... They seen the great mercy because they seen what she was going through. So when she had a baby, it's like, man, this is actually a blessing from God. God has done something that they've been looking forward to for years. For instance, there is a family that I heard a prayer request. They were going through some stuff. They were trying to have more kids, acquire more kids, right? And that was a couple months ago. So this is a really heavy burden, a lot of complications, a lot of, it looks like it's not going to happen. We're praying for it over the last couple of months. And just recently, God answered that prayer. They told me yesterday, I'm just like, I'm joyful. I'm extremely happy. Why? Because I got to see the grimness of it. Like, man, I don't know if God is going to do this. This is hurting. Man, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to doubt. 
But when you see God do it, it's now increased my joy. It's increased my belief. I was like, if God could do it for them, I know he'll definitely do it for me as well because he's the same God. He shows no partiality. So have we walked through trials with others so that we can rejoice with them? And have we let others into our trials and our hurts so that they might rejoice with us when God does what he's going to do? Another point is that we don't have to not be expecting God to do something. Some of us are going through the same patterns of things, and it just seems like, will it ever end? This struggle that I have with sin, it just keeps happening. Does it ever end? This conflict at work, it just keeps happening. I just go from this place to this place to this place, and it just follows me. Does it ever end? It says right here in the scripture, 57, now that time came, the time is coming. Whether it be now or in eternity, the time is coming for God to fulfill his word. He said that whoever keeps their mind on him will be kept in perfect peace. He's going to keep his word. He said he cares for the birds of the air. How much more will he care for you? He's going to keep his word. God is a God of his word. Yeah. And it was also a giant party. This, this was like a circumcision. So on the eighth day, they would circumcise the child according to the law of Moses. And it would be everybody's coming in because this baby is now coming into the covenant family. Like we've got another member. Kind of like we can kind of relate to it in baptism. How we all come together and we watch this person being baptized into the family of God. They're looking at this. They're all together. That's why there's so many people here rejoicing with her. And they would usually name that baby, especially for a priest, after the father or after the grandfather. It was, a, it was a source of honor. So dropping down to verses 60 through 66, we're going to talk about joy and obedience. That's one of those ones when you're like, what? It's like, yeah, joy and obedience. Verse 60 says, but his mother, speaking of Elizabeth, But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. (laughs) And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judah. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. Obviously, Zechariah communicated some way to Elizabeth, Hey, this this baby is going to be called John. Everybody's celebrating. Everybody's happy. And then they kind of do that record. You know, when the record scratches, like, it's like, you should name him Zechariah. And it's like, no, we're not going to do this. Like, what do you mean you're not going to name him Zechariah? This is tradition. This is what we do. This This is honorable. But Elizabeth had a word from God. She knew what God wanted her to do. So rather than taking that glory for themselves, 
Zechariah and Elizabeth, rather than taking that glory for themselves, they pointed it back to God by naming the baby what he told them to name the baby. Even though it went against tradition, even though it went against what everybody thought they should do, it said, man, God brought this baby to pass. I didn't. It wasn't my own strength that brought this baby into the world. So they were able to pass that glory back to God. So those of us that are going through something hard right now, right, it's easy when, for instance, I just finished college this year. Thank you. By God's grace, summa cum laude. So I was just like, I don't even understand how that happened. You know, and a lot of people can be like, man, you did a great job. You must have killed it in class. I was like, literally, I always thought I failed every class. Every class, I was just like, man, I'm not finna pass this. But God, somehow, for his glory, did that. And I can always point to that. It's like I had zero confidence that I'm going to pass these classes. So I have no choice but to give it back to God. I was like, man, that was God did that. This was God's will. In the same way, they didn't have the capacity in their body to have a baby. So it only, they could only point to, like, that's God. Like, God did this. God did this for us. So in this section, three things happened that showed that God was active. One, this older couple had a baby. Two, it was untraditional naming that baby John. They went against the grain of culture. And then three, Zechariah had the ability to talk again. So that must have been the news in the town. We're talking about a priest. He comes out. He says, like, hey, I've seen an angel, and I can't talk. People know this. And then this guy is not talking for nine months. Just stop talking for nine months. So when he starts speaking again, whoa, God is doing something. It sent a ripple effect through all of Judea. Look at how many times it says all. In verse 63, it says, and, all, and they all wondered. 65, it says, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. It sent a ripple effect throughout all of the country because that obedience showed God. It made God visible through this obedience that they had, that they had. That was some miraculous stuff, a baby being born, them going against the grain of culture, a guy that could not talk for nine months, talking. For us, it doesn't have to be that miraculous. We live in a world that is so contrary to what Christ wants us to do that all we have to do is listen to him. And it'll send ripple effects through this through this world that we live in and the cities that we live in. In their situation, their obedience called curiosity. Like, what is this? What is God doing? It caused hope because they rejoiced with her. Like, man, God was able to make this come to pass. And it just increased their faith. So here's some ways that we can be obedient and change the culture. Really, really, like, you got to buckle down to do this stuff. Like, you got to really study the scripture. You, I hope you're ready. Rejoice always. <laughs> God calls us to rejoice always in a pessimistic culture. The world is ending every day. 
Every time you turn on the news, the world is ending. You wake up tomorrow, you're like, man, I thought it was supposed to end today. Like, <laughs> praise God. Another thing is giving thanks. We live in a world that has taught us not to be content. Me and my wife, we went to go see a play the other day, and it was a Christmas play. And the entire time, they had so many definitions about what Christmas was about. None of it had to do with Christ. None of it. It was about getting this thing and getting that thing or getting your way. God has called us to give thanks that if I woke up and my tree caught on fire, my house burned down. It's like, man, that sucks for real. It's like, <laughs> but that isn't everything. I can still press on and go because I have this hope that's outside of this world. Here's another one. This, this one might be a little more shocking than the last one. Love your enemies. We live in a world that is polarized. You're either on this side or you're on that side. And if you're on this side, you're the devil. And if you're on that side, you're the devil. It doesn't, there is no middle ground. Everybody is against everybody. What we were singing is like, God, let us come together and let you reign as the prince of peace, as the king of peace. Over We are unified in Christ Jesus. This is something that the world does not know. The world says pick a team. It's telling the church to pick a team. Be this denomination. Be this thing. Be all about this. Be, like, be about these ethical things. Da, da, da. Clash, 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 clash. That's what it's telling us. But God is telling us to love our enemies. That's going to cause people to be like, whoa, wait a second. You're blessing them? I had a person that would pop in my head, and every time I thought of them, I would get really, really angry. But then I just simply listened to what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. He said, bless those who persecute you. And I began to pray for that person, blessing their business, blessing their marriage, blessing their kids, praying for reconciliation in their life. And something happened to me. Like, God didn't change them. Something happened to me. I began to be free. It's like, man, like, I'm not angry about that anymore. I'm not holding this grudge. I don't have to live with this bondage anymore. I'm free to love others now. And this person or that situation doesn't have any control over me anymore. Prioritize people over things. It's a lot of things to acquire. It's a lot of stuff that the world is constantly throwing advertisements at us. It's saying, like, get this, get that. This is going to make your life better. This is going to change everything. It's only one thing that's going to change everything. That is Jesus Christ in your life. And he says that to prioritize people over things. Making time in our schedule for people rather than doing stuff. And also, take Sabbath rest. We live in a, whole, in a hustle culture. Everything is about grind, 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 nonstop. No days off, NDO. That's what they want you to do nonstop. It's just work your life away. And God says, you can rest. You know why? Because if you stop, I'm still going to sustain the whole world. 
I'm still going to sustain your family. I'm still going to stop. Stop. That's for me. Like, <laughs> stop. Breathe. Trust me. I will sustain you. Amen. All right. Next, we're going to talk about joy and fearless service. That's going to be verses 67 through 75. One more thing on the last thing. You remember how we were saying it sent a ripple effect? Imagine if we as a people began to live this way all the time. It would, all the churches in Colleen did that. It's about 300 of them, right? Every corner, church. But yet our city looks dead. Something's up. If we listen to what God has told us to do, it happened here. It sent a shockwave through all of Judea. Everybody like, whoa, something's happening. They're talking about it. It's making them curious about God. Man, I believe that God still wants to do that here today through our actions. So, yeah, joy and fearless service, starting at verse 67. It says, so this is Zechariah. He just got his mouth open. Now he can talk. First thing he does, bless God. Coming out of that hard situation, feeling like you are tied down, don't bless your own strength. Once you get out of that situation, it was my education. It was my wit. It was my grind. Bless God. Humble yourself. It says, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that we swore to our fa- to our, that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So, Zechariah first blessed God because he can see what's happening. He says, man, God has visited us. Literally, Mary came with son, the Son of God in her stomach and literally visited him. And he's talking about, he's speaking about future things as if it's, it's already happened. He says, man, we've been visited by the Son of God and he redeemed us as a people. The people of Israel at that time were under Roman oppression. They were looking for someone that was going to buy them back from that bondage, buy them back out. The same way that God got them out of Egypt and he returned them back from Babylon, they were looking for somebody to take them, like, hey, make Rome go away. Make them stay away from us. They were looking for this redeemer to buy them back. Also spiritually, from the sleep that they had gone under from not hearing God for 400 years. And he says that this visitation and this redemption was coming from someone 
that was from the house of David. God had made a promise to David in 2 Samuel. He said, your son is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever, and he will reign. This was a promise made to them that salvation would come through this son of David. And he said, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. So this ain't just something that Zechariah made up. He's just not talking about his own thoughts in his own vision, in his own assumptions of what's going to happen. He's speaking what's written. Like, this is what is written. This is what God said is going to happen. I'm agreeing with God, and I'm walking in what God has already said is going to happen. And he says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of those who hate us. Man, today we want to be saved from our enemies. The enemy that Jesus came for our time is Satan. Satan and death. Sin reigning over us. God has visited us. If you're a believer, God has visited you. He's come into your life. He's come into your world. And he's made himself known. And he's redeemed us. He's redeemed us from sin and death. Ephesians 2 talks about the entire world being under the sway of the devil. They're under his influence to be driven by their passions. Whatever they want to do, they go and do it, even if it's destroying them. Whether it be self-righteousness, arrogance, like, I did this all by myself, or my good deeds, look at me. Or it's just pure debauchery. You know, it's just going out, living a life that is destroying yourself. Drug abuse, sexual abuse. All those things. God is saying that he came into our world to save us from that. And this is how he did it. He sent that baby that was in Mary's womb. He allowed that baby to be born. The son of God. And that son of God lived a perfect life. He lived a life without sin. Born without sin. And he lived that perfect life performing miracles to further let people know that what was written is coming to pass. He was doing the things that God said that this Messiah would do. At the end of his life, at the end of a perfect righteous life, he did not go sit on a golden throne. He chose to go die a death that he did not deserve. Death is for sinners. The penalty of sin is death. Breaking God's law deserves death. Jesus did not deserve death. But out of love for all humanity, he says, I will. I will die their death. I will go to the cross. I will take the wrath of God upon my own self. And it's, it was sufficient for God, one, because he was a human. He actually bled. He actually died. He actually felt pain. He actually felt people mocking him. He felt all of that. He died. He died a human death, but he was also God. So he could actually bear the wrath for all of us. Me, all of y'all. He can bear that wrath because he's God. And after that, he's laid in a tomb. And three days later, God raises him from the dead because death has no claim on him. He did not owe debt anything. 
So as he comes out of the grave, he sends these messengers out and he ascends into heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God. He says, whoever believes in him, that they will be saved. They won't perish, but they'll have eternal life. He will free them from sin, right? He will free them from the bondage of sin. He will free them from the fear of death. And he will give them a righteousness that they did not earn themselves. That perfect life that he lived, he said, I'll give that to you. I'll credit that to you. You can have that and you can live a holy, righteous life with this power. Right? Now look at what he wants us to do with this power. 72, it says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. So he's doing this so that they will remember, like, this is the same God. He's fulfilling his word. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, he promised Abraham that he would be a father of many nations. He says, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, that salvation thing I was talking about, right? That we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God wants us to serve. He wants us to put in work for him. He has freed us so that we can serve him without the disruption of sin. For them, in that time, Zechariah was like, man, God, free us from the disruption of Roman influence. Roman oppression, like free us so that we can just go to the temple and worship you without having to worry about them coming in and raiding it and doing all this stuff and their culture being all intermingled with ours. For us, we want to live a life that is free to be otherworldly and righteous. We want to be so different from the world because we've been free to do so. I'm free to be broken. In this world, you can't be broken. You got to be perfect. You got to have the mask on. You got to be that person. God's saying, like, you're free. You are free to be broken with me. I know who you are. I know what you are. And that's okay because I died for that. And I'm not going to leave you that way. I'm going to fill you with my spirit with my presence, and make you useful even in your brokenness. I'm going to make you beautiful in your brokenness, and I'm going to use that for my glory. We're free to do good. I'm, I, I work at a school. You know what they call good at schools? Lame. So that's lame. Like, what are you doing that? God has called us to Be doing good all the time, doing good to our neighbors, doing good to our families, doing good all the time. And he's freed us to be selfless, selfless, to consider others, to not fill every single block on the schedule with something, not making everything about ourselves. I'm preaching to myself. It's like, don't make everything about you. There is a world that is dying out there. There's a church in need of service. Paul talks about the body of Christ, right? 
It has different limbs that do different things, different gifts. If you are in the body of Christ, you've been given gifts. God is giving you things. And he says, I've given it to you that you might have fearless service. And if you don't do that, you begin to cripple the body. The arm just starts to get rigor mortis. All of that starts happening when we don't use these gifts. We need help in just regular stuff, regular ministries like nursery ministry, welcome ministry, and things that God may have even birthed inside of you. Man, like how can you be a blessing to the body of Christ where God has planted you? Do you have an expectation that God can even use you in that capacity? Because he desires to. He saved you to do it. It says it right here. He saved you to do it. That you can serve and build up his body in holiness and righteousness in a way that not just doing stuff, but in holiness and righteousness in front and behind the scenes. God wants us to live a holy and righteous life before him. Not just doing but being what he's called us to be in the light and in the shadows. He says, all of our days, all of our days, it doesn't matter. Like, you can be a five-year-old and believed, or you can be 99 years old. God says, at any age, you can be a blessing to the body of Christ. You can pretty much... No retirement. (laughs) You're never going to retire from kingdom work. God, if you're still breathing, you're still useful. God still want to use you. He still has work for you to do. No bench warmers. Everybody's in the game. Everybody gets time on the clock. Because God desires that for us. He saved us for that. And then... We have joy in the coming salvation. Verses 76 through 80. It says, and you, this is Zechariah talking about his son that was just born. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord, the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, give, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. He's agreed with the angel. That's exactly what the angel said. said, your child will be a prophet of the most high. God is calling us to align with his word, with his belief, with what he has said. And he says that he's going to go and he's going to prepare these people to receive the risen Christ. And he's going to do that by making them knowledgeable of the way of salvation. And that's in the forgiveness of sins. That's what John the Baptist was doing. 
He was in the wilderness crying out, saying, hey, repent. The kingdom is coming. Y'all need to turn from your wickedness and turn to God. When the Pharisees and religious leaders came, he said, who told y'all brood of vipers to come out here? No, y'all curious too? Y'all need it too. But then after him, right, after him came the Messiah, this sunrise that came into the darkness. He followed up on that. Have you ever, like, had an appointment with somebody and they're like, yeah, this person will call and follow up with you. He's going to see how everything went after that. Like, that's what Jesus is doing. Like, I'm coming to follow up. I'm here to close the deal for you. So John comes and makes this knowledge of salvation known. And then Jesus comes into the world. He's that sunrise that comes to visit from on high. And he shines on those that are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. Jesus was with the tax collectors and the sinners. He was in those places going and bringing light that they might come into the path of peace. Peace with God, peace with man, peace with their neighbors. Jesus was coming to do that. Did you know that all this is happening right now? That wasn't just then. There's two advents. Jesus came once. Jesus is coming again. All of this is still happening. We're standing in the place of John, making people aware of the knowledge of salvation. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Let them know what I've done. Tell all of them. Tell every single person. He said, every creature, that this is what God has done. So we're standing in the place of where John is at, and we make people Know what I was just talking about, that gospel, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And that can be a scary thing. It is. But God is calling us to step out in courage and fearless service to go and do that. And we have to believe what John believed. He believed that somebody was coming after him. So when you go and preach the word to people, believe that the spirit of God is coming behind you. It's like, hey, I'm, com- I'm coming to close the deal. It's not on you. It's on me. I'm the one that changes hearts. I'm the one that makes people new creations. I do that. I just need you to till the ground. That's it. Give them the message. I'm going to come after that, and I'm going to be the one that is going to lead them into the way of peace. This is a confidence and a help that we can have from God to know that, I don't have to bear this humongous, giant burden of saving the world. Jesus already did that. I'm just letting people know that he did. And it says, and the child grew and became strong. This is verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So John didn't just come out the womb and just start telling people to repent. That's not how it went. He didn't just have all this knowledge endowed into him out of nowhere. He had to study. He had to grow. He had to read the word. He had to learn how to be self-disciplined. He had to grow in spirit and in strength the same way that we have to. God is calling us to mature in Christ. He's calling us to grow 
and become more and more like Jesus, to become familiar with his word, to become familiar with his promises, the expectations that we should have. Like, man, God, you're calling me to this kind of life? You've promised me this kind of provision? But how can you know if you don't read? How can you know? There's only one way. God is saying that that's what John was doing. He grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. A day is coming when God is going to call you to share his word. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to share the hope that is within you? Be ready in and out of season. When you're ready, when you feel like, I feel like I'm on top of the world. And when you feel like, man, I'm going through it. Be ready at both times because God wants to use you. He wants to use you. He's brought you into his kingdom for this marvelous work. So as I was saying at the beginning, joy in all of life. God wants us to be joyful in the good times and fulfillment. When that blessing comes, when when the storm is over, he wants you to have joy. He wants you to have joy when the opposition comes and it's time to be obedient and go against the grain. He wants you to have joy because in obedience, joy comes. The disciples, John, I believe it's John and Peter and Acts, they, got, they went into the synagogue and preached Jesus when they weren't supposed to, got beat. You know what their response was? Rejoicing. I don't think that was because that's, it felt good. Something supernatural happened to them. God's joy met them in the obedience. God will meet us in our obedience. So there's joy in our obedience. And then there's joy in fearless service and pouring out ourselves for the kingdom and pouring out ourselves for others where we feel like, man, it's going to take away from my time and what I'm trying to do. It's actually going to fill you up. It's the opposite. God is saying, pour yourself out for me. Give yourself to my work. I have more life for you. Netflix is going to be there. Social media is going to be there. The couch is going to be there. But God is saying, join in my work and you will be filled. Enjoy in the coming salvation. God has come. He has saved us. He has done his work, and now he's set us apart, and he's coming again. And we can have joy in that, that as the world gets crazier and crazier, as the prices move up and down like a wave, as the economy, as the politics, everything is wishy-washy everywhere, God says that you can look forward to him coming again like they were looking forward to baby Jesus coming. We can look forward to God coming from heaven and making all things right. And that is where our ultimate joy is anchored in that Jesus has saved us. And there will be a time when all of the striving, all of the struggle, all of the failure will be over. It's going to be party time. It's going to be rejoicing time. But until then, he calls us to rejoice in the midst of this because we have that hope. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your joy. Thank you that you care so deeply about us. Thank you that you challenge us. You've challenged me to join in your work. Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your miraculous works, and we thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.